You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 133. Hayden Dow here with Brendan Patrick. Brendan, just coming off the back of calling Dallas, you were casting over the weekend. Yep. How was your, uh, how's your weekend? How's the calling? It was really good. I've got a nice, a nice set, not a set, but a nice case of post-event depression. <laughs> so these events, I mean, they're just so high speed, you know, it's like 12, 15 hours of just go, go, go. And then you get to the Monday, Tuesday, and you're just like, what the hell is normal life? It's just so boring. Um, anyway, great weekend. Um, it was, was, a t- was a blast of cast. I was really impressed with the level of play of the players that we got to witness on stream, especially in the top eight. Um, I saw some of the best matches of Flesh and Blood I've ever seen, and I was really, it was really cool to talk to some of the players, you know, for example, Matthew Vore, and just listen to the knowledge um, that these players have. I was, I mean, I was just blown away, to be honest, both by the level of play, um, how prepared, articulate, and just good Flesh and Blood players are now. Like, it is, it's very intimidating from the casting seat and thinking about coming back um, to playing tier four events and, now having to play against these players, like the, the 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 playing field has definitely elevated quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'd say the same. Although, don't say yourself short. I think when you're in the in the source, so to speak, you know, I think you you get to these these levels. I've seen that from you time and, and time again in, in previous formats. It's just you know you've you you took the semi retirement route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just I just remember listening and watching, and I was just like shit. <laughs> but I was talking to Matthew Vora. I I didn't I'd never spoken to Matthew Vora for apparently uh, named the uh, the better four brother. I think it's a little bit of a meme. Um, but wow, just uh just so solid on every pretty much. You know all the the thesis for the deck, the reasons he was playing, the lines he was taking. Um, I was just really impressed by the Jermaine players in particular this weekend. A very hard deck, very complicated deck, and it was a treat to watch them navigate those matchups. Yeah, Jermaine finally having kind of the breakout. I mean, not that it like, breakout is probably the wrong term, right? Because it put two copies into the top eight at Pro Tour Baltimore. Um, but I know I was listening to some of the coverage, watching a little bit of the coverage, and it was a point where you talked about how poorly Dromai has converted. And I got to say, it hasn't converted as poorly as, as maybe I thought you were making it out to be. I mean, it has not, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not quite prism levels of, of ProQuest uh, season season one yeah. levels of conversion, but definitely Dromai has ebbed and flowed in terms of how well it's performed. Mm-hmm. And it has often underperformed its conversion from Swiss to top eight, right? Yeah, uh, but not in the last few weeks, and and particularly, obviously, was it four copies in top eight this this past weekend? It's yeah, four copies in top eight. So I, when I was talking about that, I really wanted to point out the dichotomy between the conversion of Jeremiah on this weekend and in Taipei versus before, because although it's not as bad mm, as Prism, yes, okay. it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like Jeremiah was one of the best perform uh, converting decks to day two at forty percent, I believe, or something like, not forty percent, but it was it was tied with Lexi in terms of con- uh, conversion, um, and it it put more copies into top eight than Lexi. So this this narrative or this um, this pattern of Jermai being a deck that is only for a few select players and specialists are taking it to top eights, et cetera. It's like in the data on this weekend, it was absolutely not the case. Jermai looked like, I mean, if you just looked at the data, had no context of the past few weeks or few months, you would say Jermai is the deck to beat. I mean, it performed super well. 
Yeah, and, and you are right. I mean, it did have a better conversion than than Lexi. It had the exact same amount of decks in, in day two. Um, is that right? Yeah. No, it had the same conversion. Sorry, you're right. It had the okay. exact same conversion, 40% conversion. So I, I think you're, you know, it's going to be interesting because this meta is about to drastically shift. We have Melbourne this coming, or next weekend, sorry. There's a week, week gap. I think we have a, a couple of battle hardens this weekend. And then you move into Lexi leaving the format, hitting Living Legend, of course, officially hitting Living Legend this past weekend. And then you move into is just Jerome the deck to be. So I mean, we'll get into all that and kind of the main topic of the pod. We're going to talk more about Jerome. We've talked a lot about Jerome over the last few weeks. We can talk some more about Jerome, but we'll we'll talk about Lexi. We'll talk about Bravo. We'll talk about uh, maybe the meta because you, I heard you asking this question to people on the weekend, Brendan, what does the meta look like post Lexi LL? Um, so we can get into that. But yeah, I guess, first of all, we can flesh and blood. You've been calling Dallas. Any other kind of call-outs you want to make about the weekend? Um, <laughs> what else did you do other than than you're in, than being in the booth? I was pretty busy. So Sasha came out the week before. Um, so that whole week leading up was pretty crazy. Uh, I just want to I just want to shout out my favorite memory of the entire weekend. It's not it's not going to be what y'all think. So my favorite memory is that Mansant has a camera that he can walk around the venue with. Totally wireless, great quality uh etc anyway he's like let's do a walk around so he goes to do a walk around at the tables you know start at the low tables and make over to the high tables and as we're coming across we pass peter budensek peter Im- immediately on camera loses his game extends the hand and peter's very famous for a few things one he's famous for playing kano and two he is very famous for telling bad beat stories and i shit you not Peter loses this game, looks up the camera. By the way, it's muted. You don't have any sound. And you can see the hand expressions and him start to tell his bad beat story. He starts <laughs> going through the lines and going through the turns. And if you know Peter, you knew exactly what was happening. And it was hilarious. Hilarious. Well, Pete, Peter needs to stop taking Kano to uh, large events. He didn't take Kano this time. He took Lexi. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a very animated bad beat story. <laughs> It's so still funny. got the bad beats. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Well, uh, for me, I played a pro quest this weekend. You know, I didn't make it out to Dallas, unfortunately, as much as I would have loved to. Played a pro quest this weekend. Uh, I played Dromai as well. You know, I've been playing a lot of Dromai recently. I haven't wanted to necessarily change off of that and managed to to get an invite this weekend. So, you know, that's a little bit of weight off the shoulders. Make sure I got that invite for LA because I seem to be bleeding ELO at these callings uh brendan so i don't know if i'm gonna make it through on 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 elo to la so uh but but wrapped up an invite playing drum i played a very similar list to well actually a little bit different to tie to, to what i played in taipei um which i did put up on on patreon but actually not too dissimilar to what to what um Guy ended up winning with you know a kind of hybrid of crown and royal plan sort of providence and royal plan um and a little bit more defensive than maybe the the pure tome min max builds um, and I really enjoyed playing that. I think that that felt a lot better this weekend. So played a, a six round. It was a big progress actually for oh, for. I was just about to ask Sydney. you. I was just about to ask it's you. Forty one or forty two players, which is is nice. You know, a lot of progress. I think recently have kind of dipped on numbers, which has been you know a lot of five round progress. It was nice to play a six round progress. Actually lost round one, um, and then managed to to win the rest. So yeah, and my, my top eight. You'll love this top eight. The top eight was I think two Jeremiah, but then it was like two or three brutes two or three ninjas uh, so i had to play a leviah in top eight and then a katsu in the semi-finals um and then it was a reiner in the finals as well so um which we yeah we ended up doing a price split in the final so yeah. i actually wanted to play that matchup though I was, I was fine to play that game i i have i have a plan brendan i have a plan for brute as drama now 
after oh, getting monstered I, on camera multiple times. You, you've been. T- I mean, everybody. There's pe- people keep saying brute for worlds because brute is this class of scene is like it's got you know could be good into Jermai. I feel super confident, and we can get into this later that Jermai will have a way to beat brute. <laughs> I just think that brute is not going to be good enough, and Jermai will be it. Jermai is like a freaking Rubik's cube of end games and ways to win the game. It's just such a crazy mm-hmm. deck. The reason why I want to ask you about your the attendance at your event is I saw anecdotally I saw on Twitter that the pro quests in the United States were quite low. Some people were saying like half attendance from road to nationals because, mm. um, you know, obviously I guess the, the flesh and blood player base is very, very over and fatigued of this class constructed format. Um, and having that sort of stay in the pro quest season, I think some people are opting out of it. That's what I saw anecdotally on Twitter. So I want to see if it was represented in APAC as well, but it sounds like it wasn't. No, it, from what I understand, the first couple of ProQuests have been, in Australia at least, have been up on numbers, which is super exciting. So, um, you know, you have 40 players here. I'm not sure how many players were at the one the, the weekend before I was in Taipei. But, uh, you know, I, I would wonder in the US whether calling Dallas had any impact on the turnout for players. But I've got to ask you a question on the back of that, Brennan. Less players at the calling Dallas than at the calling Taipei. What's going on there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't high. Because we talked about this the other week. No, we talked yeah, about this the other week, and you're like, I was like, you know, 284. You're like, yeah, that's regular, but you know, we're, li- we're expecting at least 400 at Dallas. And I was well, like, oh, I, well, okay, that's. I mean, yeah, it's never been like that. It, obviously, that wasn't highlighted much on stream because that's a pretty embarrassing number to have it a calling, to be it's honest. Not good. Especially at the probably the most, well, <laughs> objectively the most central place in the united states probably one of the easiest places biggest to city get in to- the states shut the fuck yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's, it's very easy to get to huge international airports um you know american airlines hub cheap everything it has everything i know hotel prices here were a little expensive but yeah that's a terrible turnout like that is abysmal uh, not a lot of people are going to talk about it they're going to try to skirt around it but 280 players in a in a calling in dallas it's pretty bad few reasons um we, we can only guess right Calling Dallas should have been a limited calling. No reason it should have been a cost constructed calling. They should have, they probably should have gone to the extent of even retroactively changing it. Um, we tried to hype up the, the class constructed metagame of the, the calling Dallas as much as possible. But the fact is, is that one of the main culprits or the main narratives around that tournament, which is Lexi, is irrelevant <laughs> for the upcoming world championships tournaments. Why you heard that, that world championship narrative get pushed so much on stream. That being said, you know, ultimately Lexi, Lexi went to the tournament and you got to see a diverse, diverse sort of um, amount of Jeremiah decks. You know, Matthew Vore's deck was very different from Guy's deck in the end, and those will be g- good foundations and data points as you look towards the World Championships. But yeah, I think people um, hate this class constructed. <laughs> I mean, hate is a strong word, but dislike it. I uh, think it's irrelevant to, um, in in the, in lieu of the upcoming Tier 4 event. And yeah, that's that's probably what happened. Um, I can I can only assume. So it's... This is the this is the downside of living legend, right? This 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 would be one of the this would be a an example of living legend not being great because ultimately, and you and I both agree on this, Hayden. Living legend has been, although an imperfect and not very, uh, I don't know, not very intentionally designed system, it has led to the the best changes in, in flesh and blood class constructed. It's led to the biggest shakeups. It's been the most refreshing, etc. But this, the calling Dallas and the lack of attendance was probably an example of that system and kind of where it breaks down a bit. Yeah, I mean, well, well put, I think. Um, it's disappointing, I think, because I, I think back to calling Dallas in the one that you top-aided, was that two yeah. years ago now? 
Yeah, what two thing, years ago now. They're calling Brennan. Um, well, how many players was that? That was like 400 and something, was it? I'd be surprised if it was under 500. I don't remember off the top yeah, was, of my head. it was big. It was it's huge. Big. I mean, all um, the callings back then were huge. Tales of Limited. Limited. So even, I think calling Cincinnati was the smallest out of that set. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no excuse outside of... Uh, there's like there's no excuse of hard to get to location um, or like anything like that. Like it's purely players probably had the option to go and chose not to. Can can I ask you another question mm-hmm. um, while we're getting into this about kind of how events are being run? Because from what I've heard, the events have been pretty pretty well run. Do you think that though? Because this just seems to be that the the callings run by SCG have been smaller than the callings run by Channel Five. Well, and that could just be a pure purely timing based thing, right? Mm-hmm. But do you think the kind of the the size and the the penetration of Channel Five and the marketing that Channel Five had behind flesh and blood was able to get more players to these events mm-hmm. so i actually think no i think it's purely a result of channel fireball being the host back when flesh and blood was uh, a bit more popular the metagame was more interesting to people etc i mean two years ago i guess that was kind of the peak of our callings and those are also the first callings those, some of those some of those channel fireball callings they were the most competitive events flesh and blood had ever had because there was no tier four events um seg I think has, I just don't think that reach matters too much um, in terms of like actually getting play like butts and seats. What SCG does, the Channel Fireball kind of did, but SCG is also hosting other tournaments on the weekend. There was a big, there was big Magic tournaments in that in that convention center. There's also a big My Hero Academia. Sorry, yeah, I think that's the game tournament. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's plenty of room for crossover of other communities to come over and try out a draft and a side event or you know see the event, etc. And it, it it didn't it didn't really feel like you know flesh and blood was the the stepchild of that convention either it felt like flesh and blood was was uh, was you know a a big deal so yeah i think it's purely i think it's metagame i think it was a poor call by legendary studios to make it a constructed event and i think that we should be in the future we should be more dynamic i understand it's not that easy like (laughs) i understand i'm we we call ourselves what do you call us comfy couch cheeto crusted philosophers or whatever because you know we're sitting here <laughs> not actually doing the work but this should have been a limited calling in the f- with bright lights off the back of bright lights and if living legend comes with the baggage that we need to hold tournaments like this in order to achieve some sort of number i mean that is a failure of the system i don't think that's why that happened but hopefully in the future we can be we can find a way to be a bit more dynamic and um yeah limited yeah. calling would have been great everybody would have loved it right we need preparation for worlds the biggest complaint out of most pro players not enough time to test limited Limited, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Limited calling Dallas would have definitely been a band-aid, at least on all of that. Yeah, I also just think a new set is a great time to have a limited calling. We saw that with Tales of Aria. I think those callings were super successful, you know, and there was obviously some complaints about that that format down the road, but people had a great time and people really wanted to be at those events. And, you know, there will be a limited calling for this uh, limited format bright lights but it's going to be at the world championship so it's not necessarily the most accessible for everyone and it comes at the time that people will you know a lot of people will still be playing in the world championship um i don't think at the world's championship there's a cut today too right so a lot of people decide to to play on and you know regardless i I do think a limited calling would be i want to see more of them personally i want to see more limited callings yeah Uh, and i think especially at the the start of a new set to and when a 
class constructor format is actually not going to be that relevant because of you know a really big impending living legend change and i i get that's hard to forecast that right you talked about that just before um but you know there could have been some potential to you know changing a format is hard deciding that actually we're going to change this to limited and people have already booked like that that might not be the thing to do but a little bit of foresight you know mm-hmm. maybe there is some opportunity to, to have some more limited events anyway um yeah i just thought that was an interesting point to talk about i just want to add on to the back of that from what i understand you know um i talked to the to at calling taipei and and they were really happy with you know they're like we're building on the turnout we've we've kind of you know we've gone to a different country other than singapore where they've had the last two callings in, in apac um and they were really happy with kind of the like the, the hall was like the hall and the venue they had was a great size for the amount of players they had also the side events were absolutely pumping um so they were they were really happy with that and they felt it was super sustainable so um i think that is that is a good sign and also from what i understand the scg running of the the callings also makes them super sustainable because they roll them in with other events to mm-hmm. make them you know, uh, yeah, basically sustainable long-term. Same kind of, I guess, premise they took with um, how they have started to run MTG as well, come back to doing MTG, MTG events. So, um, yeah, it's good to see. It's really, uh, yeah, total. It's not all negative. I just to, want to say total, that. That's yeah, all. total tangent, but I'm really interested to see what those conventions become in a year or two, whether there's like f- 10 games, <laughs> you know? Like, are going to be mm. 10 major tournaments because uh, it seems like SEG is... Uh, evolving into that brand maybe channel fireball is to an extent as well as like where they will have multiple games multiple tournaments going on um and yep. you know this this age of tcgs there's a million tcgs coming out and they all got to pretty much compete for organized play because if a tcg doesn't have organized play i don't know at this point i think it's just a shitty board game to be honest unless it does something <laughs> very unique right because uh, hey, yeah. there's a space for ccgs and and tabletop gaming but you know, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't know. That's a whole other can of worms. We'll see. All right, let's get into the news. <laughs> Top of the news. Goodbye to Lexi. Uh, do you want to read out your the obituary for Lexi, or are we keeping that for another week? I Give that till it's officially gone. <laughs> I mean, good riddance, right? I don't. I think that that deck was. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. Was it? Was it actually that bad, or do people just always hate the best deck? Um, I think that Lexi. So, but- that latter definitely is is always true to a degree, but to to which degree is is interesting. Yeah, I'd love to do a poll. Right, we have six heroes in Living Legion right now. All Tales of Aria, by the way, completely gone at this point. Uh, now with with Lexi, well, in two weeks' time with Lexi hitting Living Legion, so Briar, Lexi, Ultim, obviously all Living Legion plus Prism Chain and uh, Bravo Star of the show. I'd love to get a poll. Which of these heroes was disliked the most in their in their peak class constructor formats or in the class constructor formats at all uh and, you know who would win you know right? recency bias might prevail <laughs> yeah. but uh i'd be interested to see like what people say and i honestly think bravo star of the show might be quite low down on that list <laughs> yeah it, it would be the 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 flippening of people coming back around on bravo star of the show being like no maybe it was good for the game wasn't that bad hey but hey I, I just want to point out i always hit this but okay yeah i mean coming from someone who was competing back then and trying to win events and actually putting an effort to playing the game bravo star of the show sucked like <laughs> that I, I, I hated that hero um for many reasons kind of just made you not want to try too hard because bravo was so toxic but anyway no obituary for Lexi. I think that Lexi right. Lexi was a deck that I was happy to see go, to be honest. It was a deck that I once it became the best deck, I was like, this is the time. This is a metagame where I'm not going to play this best deck. I did do a lot of casting during that time, but if I had been competing, I would have done everything in my power to not play that deck. I think it's boring. To be honest, it wasn't that hard. I mean, I've, I've done it this whole 
Yeah, maybe Jermaine needs a ban. What's the best deck the whole entire time? I tried to Rickball people again, by the way, Hayden. I like to do that on Twitter. Classic. <laughs> so, That's like cool. That, I noticed you dropped about 400 followers the other day. Yeah, like- well, what happened is they changed the way the links display on Twitter, so I can't do it with the disguise linked anymore. But I was trying to say, you know, after casting this weekend, <laughs> I'm convinced Jermaine needs a ban pre-Worlds, and uh, yeah, my Rickroll didn't work. So, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I mean- to, sorry to all my Rickroll fans. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to say, oh, just on the back of calling Dallas this past weekend, congrats to, to Guy Cohen. Awesome win. Guy's someone that has played, uh, from my understanding, Drome a long time. I remember seeing a Battle Hardened stream a while ago with uh, with Guy making it all the way to the final and to, you know, to come through as a, a you know, someone who's played a lot of Dromai and uh, take this event. Just congratulations. Loved the list. I thought the list was super clean. Very good for the meta that ended up showing up. Looked really good into the mirror. Looked really sort of still... With enough to take on the Lixies. Um, I wonder if I wanna know if Guy played any Bravo actually. That was the one matchup I was wondering if, if Guy might have struggled against, but the rest of the deck looked super clean and great call for for the meta. So uh yeah, just congratulations to, to Guy on the win. Yeah. Fantastic showing on stream as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, played very well. Uh the the top eight play in, in general was was very, very high. Was very impressed with uh kind of the the lines people were taking and, and yeah, playing very, very clean from I saw quarterfinals and then I saw some of the finals or most of the finals so mm-hmm. actually i saw all the finals actually <laughs> um and that that is exactly how that matchup uh, has been going for me recently is it's it's often felt very snowballing and one-sided so i wasn't surprised to see the final go that way uh progress season four is underway so progress season four people trying to punch the ticket get to la is happening this is the second to last week of progress right we've got two more weeks of progress Draft ProQuest coming up for people, Class Constructed. I know as much as you're saying people love the Class Constructed format. Uh, so if you are looking to to get yourself to LA early next year in March, then ProQuest Season 4 does wrap up next weekend, two weekends left as of this pod. And then Skirmish is back on from November 18th to December 10th. So that must be the weekend of, that's the weekend of the Pro Tour. Yeah, so Skirmish 18th to December 10th. Um, to put a rocket in your sprocket, as they say, with a mix of Blitz and Bright Light Seal deck. I just copy and pasted what was on the uh, Flesh and Blood page, so you get a little bit of copy there. there yeah, I don't know if Legendary Studios hired a new uh, content creator, like content person, because they've been posting a lot on Twitter and stuff like that recently. Uh, like they've obviously, <laughs> Legendary Studios tends to do the thing where they do like a little blitz of content and then they just go radio silent for a few months. It's very <laughs> jarring. Um, Hayden, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you had any more time to play. What are your thoughts on Bright Lights Draft as it's you've had more time to let it ruminate a bit? Uh, yeah, I've done... I've, I've still only done four drafts. Like, I'm really struggling to get enough drafts in for Worlds, which is a bit of a concern of mine for, for Boiled Prep. Um, maybe I've done five now. I, I like this format. I think it's interesting. What do you I like about it? it's deep. I like that there's a lot to figure out. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is that it's quite frustrating to figure out, I would yeah, say. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very tough. So... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Intrusive thoughts. Um, (laughs) I would describe this format as there's an incredible amount of depth, but that depth exists at 12,000 feet down. Before you get down to the depth, I feel like you have to swim through 12,000 feet of mud. And it's like, it there's it just it's hard there's not it's just very mathy and then finally once you really understand the format you can now start going deeper um and the depth really is there because i think it (laughs) when i first experienced this format 
It's rough, Hayden. It's pretty tough. Also, the draft experience, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's really weird. As you get into your later picks in the pack, so what you're used to in Flesh and Blood is like you can wheel a good card if other people aren't your heroes and stuff like that. Um, that can still happen, but pretty much in this format, like as you get to the end of the pack, it's just mono garbage. It's all bananas, as people say. So it's all yellow cards and two blocks. It's a weird experience that I didn't actually know was going to happen until, uh, until I actually was drafting the format. Mm-hmm. And then my last four cards are just like unplayable. But, you know, they're still playable because I want to be playing a lot of cards. (laughs) I think two things on that, just to start on your last point there about the kind of wheeling cards. So there is archetypes and the problem is they're just they're just hard to identify. I think they're just it's just not easy. It takes a lot of time spent with the set. And, you know, in my last draft, I finally started to understand kind of more about the archetypes and was able to wheel some cards that I wanted for my deck. I do agree the last like three picks in particular, I think are generally, you know, pretty bad, which is fine. You know, bad cards are in packs and bad cards are in, in draft. And I think that kind of adds to the dynamic and of how fatigue plays into this format. So I think it's fine to have more two blocks and, and weaker cards so that people have to make a decision about whether they play or not. Um, but kind of picks sort of you know, uh, nine, so on the wheel, nine through 11 to 12 in particular, I think are quite interesting. Um, and I do think there is this ability to, particularly if you've identified the archetype and identified an open archetype wheel things. So for instance, say you draft a dash and you get the opportunity to wheel a blue item, crank item that's going to be relevant to your deck or even a red one potentially, um, or even a, even a yellow one. I was going to say, your wheel, your wheel in blues and reds, what the fuck? (laughs) Well, if you at pick nine, there's still yeah, there's you know, a few. Well, still six and cards left in the deck, right? It's likely so, to be an item more back, than sorry. anything else, too. Uh, but there's, you know, there is there is other cards, right? There's like you can wheel galvanized cards, depending. On, like it just depends on the archetype what people go into. And I think as people identify archetypes more and don't just mono take boost cards, I think you will, because I honestly don't think that's good. I think people will find kind of that the wheel is more interesting and the draft yeah. itself is more interesting. But it is it is it is more complicated. I just want to say as well on the the idea of like kind of you know this twelve thousand feet of like stuff to get through. The problem is I think. The draft experience for bright lights when you're learning and when you're trying to understand what it looks like results in a lot of the same things happening mm-hmm. because like it basically it feels like you make 10 different decisions maybe over the course of your say, say you do four drafts and you do 12 games of your four drafts that's basically what i've done so far i would say i've made about 10 or 12 different 10 to 12 different kind of decision points that i think will be relevant and about eight or nine of them have ended in the same thing which feels a little bit like banging your head against a brick wall. Like I've been like, oh, this, oh, damn it. It still ends in the same way and not in a positive way, not the way I wanted it to go. And some of that is definitely revolved around fatigue. You know, like I do this thing, I make these decisions and they feel like I'm getting to the same result. It doesn't feel ideal. But then I've had a couple of things where it's been like, oh, okay, I've, I've learned this piece about how I maybe want to build my deck or how I want to approach my game plan or approach how to use the hero. And it's ended in a positive, you know, like the game has looked... Uh, you know, it's moved away from fatigue is basically what I'm actually going to say. It's moved away from fatigue. And that feels really beneficial and quite interesting. Mm. But to get to that point seems to take a while. And yeah, there just is a lot of lot to learn about this format. So that is one part I like about it. But the frustration on the other side is the part that I've disliked about it so far. And I'm not going to get that many drafts before Worlds, which is yeah ultimately disappointing. So I had the pleasure of the pleasure and the pain of playing in some pretty high level draft pods. Um, basically all calling top eighters, pro tour champions, world champion, etc. And it was, it was tough. Uh, and it was very, it was very, bu- it was very abundantly clear that I was washed up in that form. I would say the higher level the pod was, the more fatigue oriented it was. I do think that the other heroes are, are fine. Um, and you can play them. I do think dash is a bit, a little bit live the dream, but the more I played there, it was like, for instance, I was playing against Michael Yasker 
Tom Petty did a recent thing. And I was playing Teclavasa and I picked some of the Battleworn equipment. And he was like, oh, I put it, I flip it. And he's like, oh, nice. You have three less, you have three less three blocks in your deck. I was like, what? And I was like, I was like, huh, that's correct. <laughs> that is correct. And it was just like, it's just so mathy. Um, and I do think that there's a ton of depth because of that, but it's really, it's really tough. It's really tough at the beginning. And I remember Michael Fang, <laughs> Michael Fang, I could constantly hear him next to me. He, he had a good record, by the way, uh, was just like, I suck at this format. This is so hard. I suck at this format. Um, it's tough. Um, yeah. And so my friend Sasha as well got a lot of drafts in and inside events and was able to, you know, play things like Dash IO, uh, to you know, to three O's and some Macs and things like that. And the feedback I got from Dash IO is that you it's it's playable. I mean, some of those items are really powerful, but um it's just way higher variance than Tekla Vossen because if you just don't draw your you there's some games where your ceiling is crazy high because you draw your items in a in the in a better sequence, and there's some games where you don't and you just get absolutely stomped. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting format. I, I'm really keen to see where it goes. Where it goes at world, the World Championships, like super, super keen. It's going to be a, a pleasure to watch. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm hoping to find out how I want to draft in the next few weeks. So I need to work yeah. that out. I need to I need to find some better players than me to uh, to teach me. Uh, let's move on. Come on, cookout. Got two questions related to each other actually this week and it's related to limited so we can kind of uh answer these questions and, and move on to the main topic but this is comes from the arsenal pass discord if you do want to get your questions in for the commander cookout you can do so either on the youtube video below uh, we do have a youtube version of this if you're listening on audio platforms and uh, you can drop your question in the comments let us know it's for the commander cookout you can arsenal up uh, email us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com and if you're part of the arsenal pass patreon discord you can drop your questions in there like these two questions come from so we have a question from tattle down and then from uh, sigma so the first question is as the calling at worlds is going to be sealed with bright lights i'd like to ask you the following how do you go about sorting the cards from your four packs e.g by archetype like evo uh hype something like hyperdriver or scrap etc and based on what factors do you decide for the hero you play um and then sigma kind of follows this up and says following this i would love to understand what the best cards to open and when to flip to any of the heroes at this as a set might introduce a higher difficulty in evaluating cards for each hero making its choice difficult mm, i'm happy to take the controversial take here which is yes i i sort them based on archetype uh i think that the hero that you decide to pick is sort of based off what you open, but should be overwhelmingly Teklavasen and sealed. And I do think the best cards to open are um, are Evos to support Teklavasen. There's cards that go with that, of course. Like you want good, you want good, you want good boost cards. You want scrap cards. Um, there are overperforming cards, but I mean Taipei. Taipei had a battle harden that was sealed. Do you remember what the 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 eight players qualifying were? Hayden, what hero they played? Uh, were they all Teklavasen? Every single one of them is Teklavasen. Because of the fundamental we talked about before, can you play a dash deck? Could you open the most broken or the, the most powerful dash shield ever and, and make that happen? Maybe. But the floor on Teklavasen is insanely high and you don't need too many supporting cards. And a lot of these games are going, are very grindy, going to fatigue, etc. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I know it's the, the least eloquent one, but I think that you want to open Teklavasen. I think you want to open a, a supporting cards for that, Evos, cards to scrap, um, etc. And I think that, yeah, that's if you're looking to compete, you're like, hey, how do I win this battle harden? That's my level one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the go-to default is going to be Tickle Watson, but you need Evos to do that, right? So I think when it comes to what Tattledown is asking about how you split your cards, yeah, I think the first thing is I really want to, first of all, I look at 
<laughs> because I agree, yellows are pretty weak in this format a lot of the time. You yeah. just want to cut them as the cards you cut. Bananas. So I do, That's what we call. I do sort by by pitch value first. So my reds, my yellows, my blues, I'll put my evos out separately so I can see how many evos I have. And I will actually, when I'm sorting my cards, I will also sort out my attack actions versus my uh, non-attack actions, which I'll then later look at how many items are in there, but that's kind of how I start. And then I'll look through to see like, what are my power cards? What I'm looking for first when I'm sorting out these is like, okay, what are the cards that are gonna win me the game, right? So evos are cards that are gonna potentially win you the game because they're gonna put you into the hero to play Ticklevossen and give you the ability to play that hero. If I don't have those evos, then it's going to be very difficult to play Ticklevossen, and I'm then looking at either Dash or uh, Max in that case, right? And then when it comes to Dash, the reason I split up my items again is like I need particular items. I need ways to win the game with Dash uh, because otherwise... So Dash has this item that's like... Uh, sorry, this weapon that's like really powerful, mm -hmm. right? And I actually think Dash is the one that can give you the best way to break through fatigue, honestly. It's not Max. I thought it was Max at the start. It's not. It's Dash uh, because of how you can utilize the item for free mm -hmm. to basically get extra damage. But you need the right items to be able to do this. You need some boom grenades, I think, in particular, uh, to push push damage points. You need some good attacks that are going to push break points to help you do that. And then you need some items like backup protocols that are going to make sure that you can get back your best cards to continue to push damage or push in-game situations with like an overpower card, for instance. Um, so those are the things I'm looking at. And then when it comes to, I guess, like max, you know, once I split these cards out, what am I looking for? I'm looking for really good red boost cards and then just a good probably 40 card deck honestly that it can put together with max and max is probably the hero i want to play the least personally mm -hmm. um but i do think you can have a good max deck the problem is it needs to be overwhelmingly like pretty good above the average to be able to beat the tickler bosses in, in a game that comes down to fatigue like i played two games of sealed in the bounty event at, at taipei and i played max and i just want to point out the games i lost were to some of the best players in the world right just pointing that out brendan okay but uh, I was playing a game against Australian national champion and calling Auckland champion Sam Sutherland in round three, I think. And um, he, we, we literally got down to like the last card in the deck, right? But mm -hmm. his weapon at the end actually wins you the game, right? Obviously, that's that's what Tickler Boston does. So um, you do have to make sure that if you're going to play Max, you have the ability to push through the final damage. And that comes down to the last thing I want to point out, which is the cards I'm pulling out of my reds in particular and, and yellows to a degree, is the is the the win conditions. If I'm Tickle Boston, those are the Evo upgrade cards, right? These are the cards that can get some sort of buff. And the other cards are Overpower cards. Overpower is really good and is really relevant. And you do need some of those, especially in Max, to make sure that you yep. can close out games. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm looking at. Also, Max, I think, is the hardest to play because actually you have to be so careful of your boost. You have to be really careful you don't boost your win conditions. So often you want to kind of like grind and set up kind of early game to kind of take trade cards. And then once you know what your second cycle looks like, or you've actually been able to push some damage with overpower, then you can start to, to boost through. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything you said. Um, and my my heuristic would be... Like, the thing is, is I feel like our part of the Arsenal Pass branding is is talking about the other heroes, how to play them, how to get... At, like, how mm -hmm. to play the whole format. But if I was just going to cut the shit, I'd say, you want to play Tekla Voss, and the vast majority of people are going to be playing it. And if you open Evos, it's it's better than not opening Evos. That's just how it is in this format. This format is the, is the most polarizing sealed format I've ever seen. More polarizing than Briar, in my opinion. And, and, and Tales of Aria was literally... No. No, Tales of Aria. Tales of Aria sealed. You would literally take your old him cards, take your Lexi cards, and put them to the side. And you say, do I have a playable Briar deck in sealed? That was it. And if you didn't, then maybe you would consider one of those heroes. Or you just put Bobbles in your Briar deck. 
And this True. this format, I, I have played. Bad. I have played sealed Tales of Arise sealed post the errata. I'm talking pre errata. I'm talking pre errata. Yeah, yeah. yeah so this this format is not that, but it's honestly it's pretty freaking close. It's pretty close. Tackle Boston is the best hero by a large margin. Um, it's just so it's so yeah. I would I would sort by archetype. I would look to play Tackle Boston. I would play it if I could. And if I had to play anything else, it'd probably be Dash. I do think that Dash is good. I do think that symbi- Symbiosis Shot is a freaking phenomenal weapon. But Dash, you need to draw the cards in the right sequence on cycle one. You just, you just do. Like the the f- your floor on Dash can be so overwhelmingly bad. It 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 you can just lose games to it. And I've seen it happen so many times, to be honest. Um, but it's a playable hero. It can be good, and you don't have to stray away from it. Max Nitro would be the one I would play. The, I would play last. Yeah, um, I mean Dash. I think you you need specific items. You do a lot of. Right. I would say I would say it's interesting though because I think it's going to be Tickle Watson overwhhelmingly that people should be like. If I was to open a hundred sealed pools, I think it would look something like 75, 70 to eighty percent Tickle Watson. Honestly, that it is the correct pool. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably about fifteen to twenty percent that should be max. And then honestly, it's like five to ten percent that should be dash. Like the dash deck looks very specific. I think you really need like it's a lot easier to pull together in draft because there's there's more packs of the table being opened and people don't want a lot of these cards. But you need these cards. You need these like items that are going to do the things. That you need these blue crank cards that that can get value from them. You need dissolving shields. So it's it's really hard to to get that deck. I think. Um, lastly, just on cards you want to open, there is actually some pretty good Majestics to open as well. Like, yeah. if you open the um, the Majestic Arm slot for Hyperdrivers with Max, like that is a good reason to play Max. Um, the Evo upgrade cards are good. The Majestic Blue Evos are good. Um, so yeah, there's, <laughs> no, there's some good Majestics. The Majestic Evos are really good. Those ones are crazy. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. They are crazy. Um, anyway, I have a Commander Cookout as well. Hey, I just wanna. <laughs> Oh yeah, go. this one is hilarious. So this is a comment. Uh, I just want to. I want to highlight. So I just, just big shout out to all the Arsenal Pass fans out there, Flesh and Blood community. The overwhelming support just keeps us doing what we're doing. So this is a comment from. Thank you for increasing the size of that. From Haven eighty eight on the Flesh and Blood. Dallas calling day one says, Brendan might be one of the worst casters in the seat. Not only boring and totally flat, he's clearly biased and a huge ad- advocate of gatekeeping and insulting players. Thankfully, Dion Amada was there to keep the stream interesting. Just shout out to Haven88. Just it's It just keeps me going. Uh, I do that's, wanna- a, that's a Dion Amada burner account for sure, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I just I wanted to actually use this comment to uh, shout out Nick Butcher. I actually think he did a, such a good job. I was really impressed. So I thought I didn't think that Nick Butcher would be bad, but he was really good. Like he was phenomenal. I think in the world, like the finals was much better um, because of him. Uh, the insight that he was able to give us on that mirror specifically was an actual actually treat. So shout out to Nick Butcher hopping in the booth multiple times, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was was awesome to have his Dramai knowledge for that final matchup, and probably probably one of the more <laughs> the more uh, educational matches you can you can watch from coverage in Flesh and Blood because there was such a specialist in the seat there. So recommend you check it out, and uh, yeah, shout out I- to Nick Butcher. You probably should have played the event, bro. You're pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you make the finals of a calling feeling pretty unexcited about your list, it's a it's a pretty good start. Um, I just noticed as well this uh, Haven eighty eight. They have eleven subscribers apparently on that uh, screenshot you sent. So um, I'm and I'm just clicking in. Oh yeah, well, 
DM Amada. Amada DM. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, man. <laughs> the DM Amada brand hey. account. Ugh. Hey, look, I was, I was listening to the coverage. I thought you, you did a great job, um, as always. And honestly, I think just as Nick did as well, I think one of the most important things that yourself and, uh, and Nick on this weekend as well brought to coverage is, is kind of some of that more in-depth knowledge that, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Love Demi Mata, love people like um, Sam O'Byrne, Atana was on as well. I, I think, you know, the kind of difference between, and people might not know this, you know, having maybe not the kind of behind the curtain sort of thing. You know, generally you have someone who's there to, to run the play-by-play mm -hmm. and then you have someone who's there to to give the analytical side, right? That, that, that color commentary to what is happening in the game, right? Like, what are these players thinking? Why, why are they doing this? Break it down, right? And it's so important that you have both roles. And I think for a long time in Flesh and Blood, we we kind of we had a lot of people on the the play by play who were fantastic at it, but maybe we lacked a little bit of the that really in depth professional player knowledge. Honestly, the competitive, the top tier player knowledge. And so it is nice to to have more of that. You know, you've got people like Ethnic Smoke uh, running that sort of piece of it as well. So it's just nice that we can inject more of that. I think you were the kind of first to come in and do Worlds commentary last year with that kind of mindset, and it's um it's been great. Yeah, it's a hard pitch for those players because most of the players that can do that at level that Nick did it in the in the final, um, they're playing. Should be playing. They're playing events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that I and Hayden and I had talked about this after the World Championships. I'm going back to playing events for for multiple reasons, to be honest. But um, yeah, there's yeah. It's I think I'm definitely. I think I'm going back to playing. It's just it's such a better deal for us, especially in the context of Arsenal Pass and like what we do. Uh, I think that I was able to have my chance, and uh, it was great. But I want to go back to playing tier four events and grinding with the boys. You know, can yeah. bring. Well, we've, we've missed you, and I'm done. I'm done bringing Kane to events. Fuck that here. <laughs> okay, hey, 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 mark this timestamp, everyone. And uh, hey, look, it looks like Haven's gonna get what they want, Brendan. So. <laughs> I know they win right. ultimately. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's talk about uh main topic, calling Dallas this past weekend. And you know what? I think we've talked a lot about this metagame. It's soon to be irrelevant. So we don't have to spend too much time on the metagame. We can also start to talk a little bit about the future post Lexi. Yeah. But yeah, we can do that. But let's just quickly break down Dallas and you know, we've got the kind of let's talk about meta first of all um, you know, you talked about the top of the show, the kind of conversion of of Dromai and Lexi, and really this was a to I think few surprises, a two deck event. Mm -hmm. And I think probably for the last few weeks, I've talked about this. I said a couple of weeks ago when Tarek was on, I was like, I don't think you can bring any deck that isn't Dromai or Lexi to an event right now and, and feel confident that you're going to be able to take the event. Unless you can find, unless you can find a deck that beats both. And I have not been able to do that. Most people have not been able to do that, it seems. Uh, so surprise to very few people to see four Dromai, three Lexi, and one solo dash again a dash specialist Merrick Kemp you know it's the dash specialists that keep putting the the dashes into into these event top eights um and then you know kind of from a representation standpoint 280 players 58 Lexi 45 Dromai 30 Bravo that was kind of the the third deck right and um how did uh, how did Bravo get on on the weekend Brendan I mean, I don't know what you, how you guys want me to phrase it. Bravo sucks. Um, Bravo is He's just, back on the train. He's I know. Back on the you train. guys can all bring him to day one, but I promise you're not going to convert. It's just like the You're hero, not bringing him to day two. Yeah, you're not bringing him to day two. The hero's is bad. Um, and yeah, I understand there's going to be outliers. People are going to perform with it. Pablo Pintor, you know, he does a lot. But even Pablo will say, and Nick said it on stream, and I agree with Nick. 
Bravo might have been well positioned for the weekend because the Lexi players cut out their fatigue package. They cut out their yep. abyssal, uh, abyssal whatever quiver, and then they cut, yeah, yeah, and they cut out their fatigue package. So yeah, you can surprise people. But Bravo's flesh and blood fundamentals and it's flesh and blood flesh and blood fundamentals underrate. You're fundamentally underrate. Um, you're just not going to compete against like this like Giga Chad deck in the form of Jermai. The thing is, what what I realize, and if you watch the calling this weekend, what you will realize watching Jermai is that. We, we, we progress through the match. We start talking about what cards does the opponent need to worry about? It's actually the whole fucking deck. It's crazy. Everything, the, the, the deck is insane. Like the amount of threats that the deck has in the early and mid game. And then Jermai is just this 3D chess Rubik's cube in terms of like winning games, right? Ghostly touch, uh, burn them all, Tomaltai, whatever, um, it, n- loop nourishing emptiness. Like it is hilarious. Like use dust, like the amount of ways this deck has to actually win against a game, win games against decks that are supposed to counter it, finish out end games, be one of the most aggressive decks out the gate. Like it's so good. Maybe Lexi can beat it down, but Lexi's gone. I just think. I was just so impressed and I was just, I can consistently found myself dumbfounded by how strong every, and how, how strong, how threatening every single card in that deck was. Mm-hmm. is beatable. I just want to point that out there. It has, it has weaknesses. It has a fair few of them, I would say. First of all, there's a big green guy by the name of Reiner, uh, who I know you said at the top of the show, you think there's ways to beat Brute. And I, I do agree. I think the deck has to look quite different to be able to do that. Um, and Reiner's also can make sure that they, they are not teching for Dromite because it's a good matchup. They can tech for it. There is quite a few cards they can play uh, that really, you know, how how does it feel to maybe play, you know, you, I know Nick talked about this on the cast, Cadaverous Contraband, play, you know, four or five tomes or maybe play multiple rakes, for instance. How about five or six Blood Rush Bellows? How does that sound? Uh, <laughs> Cadaverous Contraband can also do work in Rhinos. So um, Let me I want to ask a question what, though. What about the oh, ninjas though? <laughs> I got it. I gotta ask about the ninjas because people yeah, level yeah. one, how are they gonna try to beat Jumai? They're gonna bring Katsu and Fi. And Ice Lander's always gonna come back. But what how does Rhino deal with hyper aggressive Katsu and hyper aggressive uh Fi? Like is that a good matchup for Rhino? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't deal with it. I d I don't know, but my experience in all of my time playing Rhino is like just the ninjas are just a puzzle that are just, <laughs> it's just not a, it's on not a, a fundamental it's just, level. It's just a kick. Yeah, in it's the not on a fundamental level like just the way you the way you win that matchup is you draw the the overrate side of your deck and you draw it very quickly that's yeah. how you win that matchup otherwise you're in you're in trouble but even if you do, do draw that the on hit effects from them make it very difficult to get those off uh because you need larger hand sizes when you do draw your overrate cards so like it's a, it's a it's a tough one i mean i've tried different i there was a there was that goliath gauntlet event this year or maybe it was the first one i can't remember i played reinar and my deck involved me playing um must be the first one involved me playing life for a life you know and a club plan to try and like actually be able to consistently try and outvalue these decks and it's it's so difficult um yeah so it'd be interesting if if you know and but drama also has trouble with with fire i think katsu not so much honestly i think katsu is actually kind of an even to somewhat good matchup for Dromai. It's somewhere around that 40 to 50 for either side. But Fi is, is definitely tough, especially if you lose the dice roll. If you lose the dice roll and Fi gets to go second, it is it is very difficult, I think, for, for Dromai unless you kind of get the nuts start. Um, one Okay, I want to talk about one deck in particular for Dallas. The deck that I thought was going to have another good showing this weekend. It seemed like, you know, I said just before, how do you find a deck that beats Lexi and Dromai? There might have been one, Azalea. 
and it did not have a good weekend, right? It put three copies into to day two. I mean, it wasn't even that well represented on day one. Well, it was the fifth most played. It was equal with Katsu, right, for fourth most played deck, but did not have a good conversion to day two. So you were there at the event. Mm-hmm. What were players talking about I, when it came I, to Azalea? And mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I, I interviewed Levi Roush on, on mm-hmm. stream, and Levi actually said that- As an Azalea player, right? Yeah, pretty much like the Azalea player. I mean, Justin was on the same okay. list that Levi was. I don't know if Justin got it from Levi. Um, Justin Koo obviously won uh, Taipei. But Levi mm-hmm. said that the meta is actually just going to get more hostile. He said that Azalea had a good matchup into, into Lexi and a good a reason to bring Azalea to one of these tournaments was because Lexi was the most represented deck. And it had a decent matchup with Jeremiah, but Levi also believes that Jeremiah can easily tech to beat them. And then a lot of cards that were in his deck were some of them, some of them, not a lot of them, but some of them were surprise cards. And now after Justin won Taipei and, you know, he was in a video stream, it's like prob- those cards are not going to be surprises anymore. Uh, but the deck, yeah, the deck ultimately still didn't convert super well. When it played on stream, it looks great. I'll tell you that. It did look good. Uh, but it I just- It to itself though. Exactly. And I also don't think it's a very <laughs> dynamic and flexible deck, right? I don't think that so- it can, you can bring an Azalea deck that can beat Bravo, Katsu, Fi, Dramai, Icelander, like it, it can't cover all the bases, right? Which, which is fine. It's a fine metagame call. Um, but even Levi, who's been playing, Levi has played has played Azalea in the most hostile Azalea metas that have ever existed. Played them into old him, etc. You know, might have beat up on some Briars, but then we watched him beat Michael Fang on old him in a stream and uh, Battle Hardened in in Ohio. So he's played it at the at the worst times. And I asked him, he was like, "Are you locked in on Azalea? Because it looks like it's going to be pretty good." He said, "No." Like, it actually looks like it might be worse, and I'm definitely not locked on Azalea. So, if Levi's not playing Azalea, I don't know how good it's going to be extrapolating outside of this format. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. I think we can we can kind of move on to what that you know what that means post post Lexi. But I just want to point out before we we do so, Lexi for two weeks running at top tier events callings has not put a deck into the finals. I'm just going to put it out of there. And what does that mean for the way forward and Dromai. Let's start there when it comes to like, I think we're kind of done with Dallas, right? Yeah. Like that, that is the top eight. It was kind of no surprise in terms of the minute breakdown. Nothing nothing crazy happened. But we move on. Lexi Living Legend in a couple weeks' time. Where does Dromai, like, is Dromai just the deck to beat? Like, Absolutely. Is it, is it just the best deck? No question. Okay. No question at all. Dromai is the deck to beat. Does that mean it's the best deck in the format? Not necessarily, but you can't seriously bring a deck to a, to a, to the world championship or any major tournament if you can't beat your mind if your deck can't beat your mind you should not show up with that deck in my opinion so what does that mean like what okay let's let's break it down a little bit let's let's talk about lexi leaving so lexi leaving should be good for icelander right does that should mean be good icelander for icelander? is mm-hmm. yeah. is that back in the picture or it is-, is absolutely back in the picture and it, and it right. changes the dynamic of the format the first thing it does in my opinion is actually not icelander it is it allows the so if you look at lexi's gone let's say, and Jeremiah's the best deck. Most people are going to be like, okay, Agrify, Agrokatsu. Those are coming back into the format. 100%, those are going to be uh, aggro decks that will exist in World Championships. But Icelander will gatekeep them. Icelander is one of the decks that will, um, you know, somewhat police the amount of reds they're playing, how aggressive they go, etc. To what extent? I actually don't know. But that is, I think that's the the sort of... uh, first triangle we're looking at right which is Jermai, counter to Jermai, and then a third deck in the form of icelander which still has access to ice that is equalizing those matchups a bit okay and then where does <laughs> where does bravo play into that bravo could show up on the day i guess um 
I don't think Bravo's good into Jermai for the same reason. I mean, Jermai could beat Old Him, which was just a better version of that deck. Um, I think Bravo could be... You, Bravo's actually can be great into Fi and Katsu, but I would think they have to be. It would have to be a Fi Katsu dominated meta. Uh, Bravo versus Icelander. I'm assuming is quite Icelander favorite. I don't know how much tech. Yeah, they, yeah how much tech yeah. they can add. Um, so I, I think. I mean, I will. I, I, I seriously, I'll think for a while until Living Legend takes out a few heroes. That Bravo is just not actually a super serious deck. It's a surprise deck in terms of its game plan and its strategy. Like you can take you can take the old deck. You can cut sixty percent off of it, or you can Pareto and take eighty percent off the deck. You can play the twenty percent, um, and you you can still beat people because it's a powerful strategy. But it's not powerful enough. It's not powerful enough. I don't think that Bravo is legitimate. Is is a I, good pick? Could it top put one? I just gotta. I gotta. I gotta save my ass here. Could have put one player in the top eight? Sure, sure. Is he gonna win the tournament? I would bet so much against that. Okay. Why I wanna ask a question about Jermaine Bravo, because you said just before, you know, it's it's not a good matchup for Bravo. What what's because my experience is that actually it's a pretty close matchup and if the Jermaine hasn't prepared their list like i looked i just said i looked at mm-hmm. a Guy's list and i would actually you know if anyone uh knows Guy or, or knows if he played bravo on the day love to hear about that but i was looking at his list being like man he, he looks soft to, to bravo here um and maybe maybe i'm missing something about the matchup but i've played it a lot and i think i'd love to know yeah what what's your perspective is on why you think dromai is, is kind of favored into bravo just on the whole it seems i don't know if it's fundamentally favored as in like a matchup just like a core matchup dynamic, but I have seen, I'm going to call upon my experience watching multiple Jermai matchups into Bravo or into Oldham Mm -hmm. at the Pro Tour Baltimore, where despite Oldham having infinite, (laughs) infinite breakers, access to crown, et cetera, so many ways to sort of try to like on the surface, get around this deck, it would consistently lose because these Jermai players would set up end games that the old him couldn't couldn't beat and would attrition them out of those poppers. And like that's the thing is like these these Jermai decks they just have so many ways to win the game. They can tomal tie away your your null rune, then they can burn them all you. They can ghostly touch stack and have the ghostly touch mm-hmm. this phantasm and attack you multiple times with that, where you have to counter pitch stack like defense reactions and shit. We like saw Michael Fang barely win. Um, like, I think it was against Yuha. Um, I don't remember one of the Jermais in top eight and barely win because he had actually it wasn't the poppers, he'd run out of poppers, but he actually the defense reactions for when that ghostly touch yeah, finally yeah, yeah. came in like it is like it just seems like the good Jermai players can run circles around these bravo players and is the bravo is the bravo deck more aggressive to an extent to where they can stop the Jermais from taking them to that end game i don't know i i just i doubt it and i think that Jermai, it the question for me is how many cards does Jermai need to commit to the deck list in order to shore up their bravo matchup um to a decent amount yeah okay that's interesting that makes sense i i think my perspective with Ultim was that the matchup was so Ultim favored, to be honest, mm-hmm. when I was playing Ultim. But that was a shift post Pro Tour Baltimore to a much more bright. Like these Ultim decks almost look like a Bravo deck with Crown of Seeds. You know, like we were playing Red Disable, you mm-hmm. know, we were playing Max, you know, Max Red Pummels. Like the deck looked a lot different. I think it was a lot more proactive. You know, Zealous Belting, for instance, which I don't think people were playing at the Pro Tour. Um, so it did look very different. And I think that really changed the dynamic. I think the, the my experience so far with Guardian into drawing my now bravo previously ultim is that yes if you give the dromai the full game to throw every single rake every single mm-hmm. ashwing they can at you and take every single you know take the poppers out of your deck build up those counters on that ghostly touch for instance which by the way a lot of people are not playing ghostly touch uh which i think makes it very difficult to 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 navigate in game we saw matthew Vaughan on stream with ghostly touch navigate the end game against bravo but 
had he not had that ghostly touch, had he been on a, a dust plan, I'm, I'm not sure it'd be the same situation. Um, but anyway, the, the longer these guardian players give the Dromai players to navigate this game set, like a longer a game goes, the more value Dromai is going to get in a game and the more likely Dromai is going to win any game because you get more opportunities to get dragons on the board. You get more value out of your dragons with attacks. You get more life gained back because eventually your opponent has to kill, pop, whatever mm-hmm. it is, your dragons. So the longer a game goes, just in general for Dromai, just the better it is. And originally it was like, ah, oh, but you can fatigue. And it's like, yeah, Dromai can fatigue potentially. But it is, like you say, the deck is full of threats. It is so hard to fatigue Dromai. So uh, really the, the way to attack Dromai is to is to attack it, is to make them have to pay life in order to develop their board. And that's what I think the, the better brothers are doing right now is they're saying, okay, here's a bunch of red attacks, dominant attacks, pummeled attacks. You have to develop, you know, take life to develop your board. Um, and then I'm going to pop them and then come back with more damage and don't worry about the end game. So I think that Jermai, well, Jermai has so many ways to win the end game. You're right. Like if they, if they are able to dictate the pace of the match and take the Bravo there, if they have the tools, um, it does seem like it's Jermai favorite. So can, can Bravo come out of the gate fast enough, apply enough pressure? One thing I'll say is that contrary to, or uh, sort of in, con, uh, what's the word? I lost it, but just comparing to Pro Tour Baltimore, uh, yeah. the Jermai decks have more are, are more explosive they have access to more swinging turns with tone of the imperial flame they can swing more dragons on board and that that can't be i feel like the it's hard for me to see that as a better scenario for a, a deck like bravo because i watched all, all so i watched old him get beat at proto baltimore by jeremiah setting up end games and matricing them out of threats and these these expert jeremiah players navigating that scenario right but i also yeah. watched Plenty of old Tim's lose because the Jermai did rake, rake, drop three dragons. And like the equity to be able to do that, those kind of play lines to just get way too far ahead on board and effectively fit turbo fatigue, the fatigue, by the way, fatigue the Bravo out of six attacks and fatigue them out of deck has just gone up because a Bravo can't, if you drop all those rakes and you're dropping multiple dragons a turn, if a Bravo's blocking with a six attack every single turn, they will fatigue. They will fatigue. That's, I mean, so well, as long as the Jermai doesn't die beforehand. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, like, I, I, we're assuming they're competing on, right? They're popping, they're popping dragons. They're trying to clear like really bad ones, right? Like uh, maybe like Chromais or Kylo, like, Mirage. you know, they're doing- Mirage is the one you yeah, used to clear. So they're doing something to like actually try to main a little bit of board parity. Cause yeah, I don't know who wins the heads up where it's like, okay, we just both go face, right? Maybe the, the Bravo commits one card to popping and stopping the, uh, stopping the turn as much as possible. But if they just both turbo go face, like who wins in the heads up there? I don't know. This is this is the thing. Like, I think the the Bravos have gotten a little bit cute with it. They've gone away from the fundamental of like, what's the best way from a, a value standpoint to utilize your hand? Block with one card to pop and end the turn and attack back with three cards. That is, and then hold a go again, attacking your arsenal for when they drop the Maragai and try and pivot on a Maragai Chromai turn. Pop your Chromai, kill your Maragai, you know, attack your passing Mirage if I even have to move on with life sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, anyway, that's that's my perspective on the matchup. I think my problem though is that Bravo might be able to do that. That's fine. But what's Bravo doing against the rest of the field? It's also so, beating anyway. the ninjas, right? That's a good thing to do. Like, uh, can it beat the ninjas? I, I mean, if it's packing, if you're, I mean, that's the thing about Bravo deck is another one of those decks you have to make deck building decisions whether for what you want to beat. Exactly. But Bravo, do you want Chokeslam or Disable? Because exactly. Chokeslam much better against the ninjas, but much much worse against Jeremiah, for instance. Yeah, or crush the weak, and like you can have a bu- yeah. like a bunch of red attacks and just shut ninjas up real quick. Um, but can you also beat Jeremiah? And yeah, I just don't mm. think that Bravo it's is tough. like actually a fundamentally powerful hero. 
So if there's a narrow meta where you can add in a bunch of those cards, like I played Bravo. Thing is, I get the sh I get all the shit for talking for talking down Bravo, but I'm the only one who's brought him to the competitive event in this room right now, and I brought him to. I'm the not in that room with yeah, you. So. I know. I know. <laughs> I brought Bravo to a legit, uh, what was it, a Battle Hardened. You played that, a Pro Quest, didn't you? Oh, you did no, it twice. It you played hardened. a Pro Quest and a Battle Hardened and a Battle Hardened. It was a Battle Hardened. To be fair, hardened. I was pleading with you to not play it. I was like, It was well positioned. It was all Bravo. five. The only reason not. that I didn't top eight that Battle Hardened, and I'm going to Peter Budinsek cope right now, is I had, I had a fucking IP penalty in round one because we were late and I got a combo by Slender. Other than that, I absolutely shit stomped all, all the Fies. Like I did. It, it, the deck was just really good against Fi. It was. It was really well yeah. positioned against Fi. And I think that... I don't disagree. I think Bravo... <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. We're like so passionate about all these points that we agree on. Um, yeah, it could be really well positioned for Worlds. Like if it's... if I mean, or it could be well positioned for a portion of the meta at Worlds, <laughs> but can it cover everything? Um, hey, I, Worlds is a split format, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, but ultimately, yeah, it is a split format. Uh, I just, it, I think it will be one of the top five most played decks. I don't think it will convert well at the World Championships, but I don't know. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of great Bravo players that are going to be at that tournament. Hmm. This great Bravo play? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, that's my right. line. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the one the one deck I think we haven't talked about. We talked a little about Ninja, and I think that's that's obviously an interesting dynamic as well. But the Mechanologists, yeah, Lexi Living Legend has to be good for Mechanologists. Whether that's Dash specifically, whether that's Dash, there's a lot of chat about Dash IO being like the best aggro deck because of the explosive ceiling of Dash IO. My personal experience playing Dash IO so far is that yes, it does have an freaking explosive ceiling better than normal dash when it comes to being this aggressive boost deck but i'll tell you what as a much lower floor um has been my experience so far so i'm really interested to see where people come to with dash io for for this event like there is a lot of there is these kind of whispers of like maybe it's the deck maybe it's the most aggressive deck i don't know it's not been my experience so far but dash inventor extraordinaire is really interesting to me and lexi i think living legend now means that you can build dash and different ways you don't have to have be like i have to have this really explosive boost package in order to even have a chance against lexi now i can potentially build in different ways um whether that's you know the control dashes come back we see more of mid-rangers not sure but then also does that open up the space for like we said dash io but even potentially i won't hold my breath on this one max and tickle and they seem a lot weaker to me but you know maybe maybe someone's going to find something there so the, the mechanologists are the other part of the puzzle that i think is interesting yeah, I'd be surprised if Max or Tekla Lawson uh, decks brought to the tournament in terms of the entire tournament, which will maybe <laughs> be over a few hundred players. It's more than five combined. <laughs> that would be a win for those heroes. But um, yeah, if you're interested in Dash for the World Championships, go back and watch Merrick Kemp's game. And I'm not enough of a Dash expert to know how the deck will change in lieu of Lexi leaving the format. But that deck... It's good, and it's obviously good. It's been winning for the past few years, and it's only got upgrades. Um, I don't know if it will be highly represented at the at the World Championships, but I do think that it it will likely convert, maybe just in the form of specialists, maybe not on the aggregate, right? But it will likely convert in day two and even top eight. Like it seems, <clears throat> I just can't. I just <clears throat> so I can sit here and I can talk bad about Bravo. But I can't do it about Dash. There's obviously something going on with the Dash deck where there's players that know how to utilize it, that are having success with it. And I think that the equity of that deck has only gone up in 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 lieu of bright lights. So it it's a good it's it's definitely a pick for the world championship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean I think Dash is powerful. So we'll we'll see. And then Dash IO is the kind of, you know, could be a wild card. I think then, you know, we talked about briefly like 
where where does brutes kind of sit uh i don't know fundamentally my, my problem with brutes is it's like levi i just think isn't it right like we've just seen the upgrades just aren't aren't enough i don't think lexi's the the even the problem there um and then you know reiner i mean just so soft to to these aggressive decks so yeah i don't know even icelander is not a particularly great matchup so i don't know as much as i'd love to sit here and say I'm super confident in what what brute could be in this in this next format. I'm I'm really not, but it's definitely something I'm looking at. So we'll see. Brute to me seems very theoretical, right? It's just never. Yes. It just is never really. Yeah, I mean, it's, as we, good as it seems, we've been doing this. We've been doing this song and dance with Rhino for years at this point. But every single time, it just doesn't end up being it. Um, like theoretically, it's like it can be good into all these decks, but it just it's just not on the same level that current modern S tier decks in Flesh and Blood are. Hey, but it isn't it until it is, you know what I'm saying? So you I mean, don't know if bro, you don't try, Brendan. But Elizabeth, we have put some time into that deck. We have devoted resources to that we? deck. Yeah, well, I'm, I've devoted my time and resources telling you to not That's fucking true. play it. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the other side of the table being like, dude, why are you still doing this? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Fair, so fair, we, fair. Have, we have given it a good shot a lot of more times than it deserves and it's just it's just been a theory based deck just hasn't really converted in the end and like you said the Icelander yeah. matchup is not even fantastic definitely oh, wasn't in Blitz maybe, definitely wasn't in Blitz maybe next year <laughs> maybe next year alright I think it's going to do it for the pod this week uh, <laughs> uh, we will be back next week I mean what, what's going to happen in the next few weeks I mean we've got obviously I've got Melbourne coming up we've got the Worlds that is coming up what else is what else is happening I mean um so it's just melbourne right like that's it's it's tough so th- what what happens in the next few weeks is that players um do internal testing goes hibernation yeah they, <laughs> they do internal testing to figure out what yeah. to actually play for the world championships because your pqs aren't going to help you like i mean yeah that's what you got to do you got to figure out your class constructed deck uh for this upcoming mm-hmm. tournament and i think we're going to get a lot more practice in in bright lights you're not because you won't have time but the collective community will practice bright lights in in i know but that's what's going to happen is people are going to start playing this format as we lead up to the world championships because up until now there really hasn't been a lot of time like most players i talked to on the day at at the convention had played less than five drafts and there was a lot of players that were just like turbo drafting there after the event yeah yeah i mean that's actually my plan for melbourne next week is to see how many people i can get on friday to draft with me for like four or five drafts and then sunday evening after the event like who wants to draft well, i'll tell you i'll tell you hey, i'll tell you what your best bet is i think that you need to find a class constructed deck and not kato lock it in like hardcore i'm gonna play this deck i'm not gonna change always anything. works for me and yeah. then yeah and then when you get to barcelona you just only draft like two- so i get to barcelona about 18 hours before the yes game but you're an, you're an alien and you don't get jet lagged so you could get a solid five four or five drafts in with a group of players that has you know maybe collectively 50 plus that's actually you know what? i'm gonna i'm gonna put the counter i'm gonna put the shout out here to see if anyone can help me out i'm gonna be in in london for basically the the week and a half prior to to worlds if anyone in london uh is keen on drafting and has a has a group or has a store or whatever and um can get me in for some drafts bright lights please reach out let me know i will be there i would love to draft um so yeah <laughs> please help me out yeah 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 i mean draft uh draft is the biggest is the biggest question of the world championships right now i think that there's there's some solid class constructed decks you could pick that are just 
powerful lists and you might have to tweak a few things, but if you have experience on them, you could take these lists to the world. But the draft format, I'll tell you right now, and I think that most high level play, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a high level player, high level players that are practicing for right now, it's really tough. Like it is a tough format, in my opinion, hardest. It is both the hardest format and the easiest format I've ever played because there's definitely some there's definitely some games where you can just high roll, but then it is the most mathy uh, resource attrition trading format that I think has ever existed in Flesh and Blood. Yeah. All right. I disagree. <laughs> uh, do you want to take us out, Brandon? Yeah. All right. Well, if you enjoy this podcast, you can leave us a comment on YouTube telling me how much of a shit content. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you can subscribe on YouTube or hit us with a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate it. Helps a lot. Shout out to the Arsenal Pass patrons. You help us do what we do, and we're endlessly grateful. Hopefully, we can get some deck techs beforehand. Um, it's tough because you know a lot of these pro players are, like Hayden said, turbo hibernation at this point, <laughs> just grinding for this thing. We don't have a good marquee event to sort of get some lists, but we'll do our best to at least get at least get one up, one good competitive deck for this upcoming format. Twitter, Brennan APG, Fien underscore Dale. And until next week, we'll see you next time. See ya.